0: Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this weekend needing a victory to keep their survival hopes alive. And after winning two of his first three games in charge Thomas Tuchel takes his Chelsea side to bottom of the table Sheffield United.
1: The news from RTHK.
2: Good morning and welcome to the Week on 3 with me, Noreen Mir. It's really great to be back with you on this week's program and it really is a highlight for me to be able to highlight these interviews for you. Of course, there are just way too many to fit in the next half hour. So here are just a few minutes of each of the interviews. And if you like what you hear, then do go back to our Radio 3 archive and visit them or you can head to the RTHK Podcast One page to find the program that you want to listen to. So on with this week's Show. We've got Jeff Bezos stepping down and we have Keith Urban. That's right. If you are a Keith Urban fan, then today is your lucky day. And even if you're not, then it's still your lucky day because there are other things that you can hear on this week's Week on 3. So let's start today's program with sleep. Now, if you've just woken up to this, then ask yourself, did you have a good night's sleep? This means, did you go to bed early? Did you get enough sleep? And also, was your sleep relatively undisturbed? Because we all know that if we don't get enough sleep, our productivity suffers, but also our moods. A collaborative study by the Department of Psychiatry at the Chinese University Medicine and the Department of Psychology at the Faculty of Social Sciences at the Hong Kong University proved that bright light therapy is effective for night owls with depression. And on Thursday's 123 show, I spoke to the investigators of the study, Dr. Joey Chan, an associate professor from the Department of Psychiatry at the Chinese University of Hong Kong's medicine faculty, and also Dr. Shirley Lee, an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Hong Kong. Here, Professor Shirley Lee talks about what constitutes as a good night's sleep. We do
3: look at sleep duration, that is how many hours we sleep at night, because that gives us a quick reference, like whether the person has sufficient sleep. So as you said, uh, we generally say almost adults need like eight hours, of seven to eight hours of sleep. Um, however, there are also individual differences because um you may notice that some of your friends may just need to sleep like seven hours or less than seven hours, and they're still very energetic. sometimes during the five
2: day. hours for some people, I'm like, wow, how do they function?
3: Yeah, yeah, and where some people may need longer sleep duration. So sleep duration may not be the best indicator on on how how uh, well rested or whether. Uh, We we have sufficient sleep. So usually we will ask people whether they feel refreshed in general during the day or whether they report like frequent sleepiness during the day. So that might be a better indicator whether they have enough or uh, sufficient sleep.
2: And in terms of restful sleep, do you mean sort of uninterrupted sleep in a period and also how deep your sleep is? I know some people, I think we touched on this in a previous interview, uh, Dr. Lee, um, that people with sleep apnea, for example, if they're snoring and they're actually not in such a deep sleep. They actually, even though they're sleeping for, I don't know, eight hours, they still feel tired. So there are different factors which affect the quality of our sleep, too
1: yeah of
3: course, yeah I think both sleep duration and sleep quality matters. So um, so in terms of like sleep apnea, like like what you said because of the sleep quality uh, was impaired due to the uh, uh, sleep disorder. So it, it will also affect how restful uh, how restful people feel during the day.
2: Yeah. And certainly we can all say if we're not sleeping enough, our mood suffers. We'll we'll wake up maybe a bit more um, irritable and and just not very productive. Um, Maybe I want to ask Dr. Joey Chan, you know, what is this bright light therapy? I'm curious to know. um, You mentioned just now it's for half an hour a day uh, for the people who took part in your studies. What's the sort of wavelength and are they are they just lying there sort of sunbathing? (laughs) Talk us through the process of the bright light therapy.
1: So a uh, bright light therapy is actually a treatment through exposure to an artificial light source. So we usually deliver the light therapy through a light box. So the light box that we use is about uh, the size of an A4 paper. Okay, so uh, we can just put the lamp or the light box on the desk. So we usually advise uh, the, the participants to put the lamp uh, on the desk at an appropriate distance. So... um. So in our study, the appropriate distance is around 40 cm from the eye, okay? So it's important to keep the eyes open during the light therapy and then uh, so as to get the light shine into the, into the eyes, okay? But then, uh, but then the, 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 the people can actually do anything they want, like they can take breakfast, they can read or watch a TV show, so it's relatively free. So uh, what what they need to do is that uh, we will just remind them not to look directly into the light box because this will help them to reduce the eye discomfort. And um, so you are correct to say that it's pretty much like we want to mimic uh, an outdoor sunlight exposure, just that it differs from an ordinary sunlight because it's UV filtered. Okay, so you you oh. you won't get tanned with uh, with this uh, bright light treatment, and then uh, and and it's a convenient source of bright light for these people. So um so what when we are saying about it's bright, so um so um it we we give them a, a quant we, we quantify them with a unit is called ten thousand lux. It's called lux. So uh, by one so actually when. Uh, when a candle is paced one meter away, it gives a light intensity a wa- around one lux. So it, uh, for an indoor office lighting, it's around 300 lux. When we go outside, exposure to direct sunlight is around uh, 100,000 lux. Wow. So uh, what we use is 10,000 lux is, uh, is much stronger than an ordinary indoor light. But again, it's much less than a direct exposure to afternoon night uh, sunlight.
2: Okay, and what are some of the reported um, outcomes for some of the patients?
1: So uh, the, the key findings from our study is the group of patients who were in the bright light therapy group, they actually achieved a higher cumulative remission. So it's up to 67%. So uh, versus those who are receiving a control light, so they were uh, having a remission of 46%. And we also found that the light therapy action is quick. So um, for those who were in the bright light group, the time to remission was shorter. So the, the effect is usually seen in around two weeks. Okay. So the patient reported to us they feel more energetic in the morning. And, uh, and gradually they were able to sleep earlier at night and wake up earlier in the day. So we observed the sleep pattern changed upon the treatment. And um, so in addition, the light therapy was well-tolerated. So the most common side effects that they reported is usually some eye discomfort, which were transient and usually subside after the lights are off.
2: Okay, that's great. Okay, I think we need to all, it's nice and sunny out there. I think it's great if we all sort of sit in the sun for a while. And it's true, after a day in the sun, uh, we naturally feel more tired. And, and we, for, for, for a lot of people, they naturally sleep better. So maybe there is that sort of um, wonderful light therapy that we can all enjoy. Um, I want to talk about the cycle of, of night owls. Um, not that being a night owl is necessarily a bad thing. Perhaps for some industries, it really requires for you to work late. Um, having said that, <laughs> we're Chinese so a lot of the times Chinese medicine or someone will say uh, uh, will say like you know you should you should sleep early because our liver fire <laughs> will affect us. I don't know if you um, but yeah. also in a Western medicine perspective. So how do we break the cycle of of, of being a night owl and, and just forming better sleeping habits?
3: Um, I, I think it's quite challenging <laughs> for quite, uh, intrinsically night owls. But there are ways to kind of improve, uh, to, to improve the um, that, like to, to reduce the evenness. Um, so, for example, um, to put it simply, um, uh, the, the advice will be um, dim light before sleep and then bright light after getting up. So try to expose yourself uh, uh, to bright light after getting up to get some sunshine um, and also avoid <laughs> excessive use of electronic devices before bedtime. Um, and I guess uh, it will be helpful to set an alarm to help yourself to get up and try to plan some um, some activities that you look forward in the morning so that you have the motivation to get up. Because I and, and the other thing I think is related to uh, being a night out is uh, is having bedtime procrastination. I'm not sure if you. If you know that, or you have already experienced it, <laughs> experienced that, because people often uh, report bedtime procrastination and that delay their bedtime, um, and they ha- they tend to be they tend to be um, a night out in in this way. So um, we might need to work on uh, bedtime co- procrastination as well.
2: Absolutely. Um, What about, you know, Hong Kongers are known to sort of work late. I suppose now more people are working from home, so there's less excuse of saying working late in the office. But there's some people who still work late at home and work late in the office. And then during the, say, Monday to Friday, they work late. But then over the weekend, they try to catch up on their sleep. Does that work? Does that sort of even out, you know, the average sleep time per week? Or is it better to be more consistent um, for your sleeping patterns?
3: Um, So usually I would advise this to have uh, regular bedtime throughout the week, because that will help to stabilize your biological clock, because otherwise it will be very confusing for for your brain, uh, getting different message. Uh, Like, for example, during uh, weekdays, you can get up around eight, but then during weekends, you have to get up at ten. Then your brain gets confused. How? What time should I wake you up? Actually, like what time is your expected um, rise time? So, so it would be better to have like a more regular uh, sleep waste schedule throughout the week.
2: Yeah. Well, Doctor Shirley Lee, you're a sleep expert. What time is your bedtime usually? And and you know, do you try to regulate your biological clock?
3: Yeah, I, I am a night out, to be honest. <laughs> So, my usual back time, uh, I I try to make it, um, as like one, one or two. I try to, yeah. But my my aim is to like sleep around one or two, my aim.
2: But that's when you're most productive and and it's difficult. You know, I think there's that aspiration to become a morning person. But, you know, if you're a night owl and you try to be a morning person, um, some people might be quite grumpy in the morning and and actually doesn't serve (laughs) the purpose. Um, What about for you, Dr. Joey Chan? Are you a night owl or are you a morning lark?
1: I'm, I'm quite similar to
2: Shelly
3: <laughs> in the middle of
1: the night. <laughs> so uh, Communications always at night. And then, um, yeah, so, so as, as we, we all often uh, jokingly said that many academics or even professionals, they are night owls by nature's. So sometimes it's affected by the work schedules and, uh, maybe it's also predisposed with the evening tendency in this type of, of people.
2: That was Thursday's 1-2-3 show, From Sleep to Music. On this week's Common Room, Alison Howe got to catch up with international superstar Keith Urban. Now, Alison, as you know, has been in the industry for more than 20 years now, and this is one of the rare occasions... I just realized I may have revealed her age here. No, I didn't. Okay, no, never mind. Okay, back to what I was saying. This is one of the rare occasions that her mom told her not to mess up the interview. I suspect it's Mama Howe who loves Keith. Well, who doesn't? Now, here's Alison with Keith Urban. Talk about live performances. You and Pink for one too many. That's another rocker.
4: Thank you. Yeah, it's... Uh... I've just always wanted to do a song with her. I love Pink. I always have, all my life, I mean, all my career. Um, She's been high on the list of people I wanted to try and do a song with. And this was the one that felt like, I hope she loves it as much as I can hear it in my head. I think she's perfect for this. And I sent her the song and luckily she loved it. And we got to do it together.
3: I can't imagine anybody receiving a song from Keith Urban and turn it down.
4: Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you know, it's just not the right song at the Royal. you're not compatible or something. It's a terrible feeling sending a song to someone going, do you like this? Is this something that you would want to do, you know? So um, probably like asking someone out on a date and being turned down, you know? So it was nice that she said yes.
2: <laughs> uh, talk about relationship advice. I think last year really put a lot of relationships uh, to the test whether, you know, quarantining with somebody together, whether it's a family, whether it's a new relationship, you know, testing through this.
3: Um, how has this year been to your relationship?
4: Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's been, um, Nick and I are very lucky because we're very, very compatible. We have a good, we dance well together. And um, that's been very good this year. But I think I've learned a lot about myself as well and, and patience and, trying to be very aware of too much negativity creeping in because it's been a big year for that. You know, it's justifiable, um, but just trying to not let that get in the way of um, the light flowing.
3: That is such good advice.
4: Have you have you been handling the year?
3: Oh, there's been days when I just want to kill each other. There's been days when it's just really sweet having kids as well. It's like right now I have
2: to kick my kids out so that I can speak to you. So it definitely is a huge year of uh, different kinds
3: of challenges. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. But I also feel like because our show, we have a lot of teenagers tuning in and being a teenager
2: in this crazy time, it's mm-hmm. definitely a lot more confusing. So mm-hmm. I want to let them have some advice from you. Like, let's say, for example, what kind of a student were you back in school?
4: Oh my gosh, you don't want to ask that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I loved school up until about high school, and then I wasn't really very good at school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, because I was, I was playing music in a band on the weekends when I was um, 15. And the band would play without me during the week because I had to go to school. And I said to my mom and dad, you know, if I quit school, I could be playing in this band five nights a week and earning good money and learning more about performing and everything. And luckily they supported that. So I I left school when I was 15. And playing five nights a week, four hours a night. And I just never looked back.
2: And that was Wednesday's Common Room with Alison Howe. And now let's turn to Thursday's Back Chat, where hosts Jim Gould and also Hugh Chiverton spoke to Gordon Matthews, professor of anthropology from the Chinese University of Hong Kong, about Jeff Bezos' decision to step down as the CEO of Amazon, a move that surprised many people. Jim starts by asking Professor Matthews his thoughts on Bezos' sudden move
0: this reminded me of of bill gates a few years ago who who stepped down and gates had uh uh, um, not a stellar, repu- a stellar reputation for innovation, but not a stellar reputation for being a, a good human being, and that has shifted by his work in a in, uh, uh, number of charitable causes, of course. And uh, I imagine Bezos might be thinking the same thing. I don't know. I'm no more an expert than you are, but if you are the world's richest person, and then uh, suddenly you say, well, how am I going to be remembered after I'm dead? That may lead to a considerable shift in what you want to do in the later part of
5: your life you think that's the real motivation for people about about their their future legacy
0: i imagine it is i mean you know when i was in college i used to hate uh capitalists in their suits and ties but somebody like bezos wasn't that different for me i mean hell the, the guy worked in mcdonald's when he was a a, a secondary school student and so on so uh, I, you know i i'm trying to imagine what he must be thinking and yes, obviously, Amazon was extraordinary in its innovation, but it also had a reputation for exploiting its workers. Uh, Bezos probably is thinking, well, what should I do now? And it might be space exploration. That's certainly one thing he's been involved in, but also uh, a charitable work of many different kinds, time just to do something new. I'm, I'm sure that's what he's thinking.
5: And what about the effect on human behavior that, uh, that Amazon has uh, uh, brought about? You know, I mean, people, you know um, ordering things at home online instead of actually going out to shops and shopping malls?
0: Well, that's had obviously an an enormous effect and that effect has become all the greater in a time of COVID-19 when we're at home anyway, and Amazon is this BMF bringing us everything. So the the effect has been enormous. Now, has it been positive? Well, it certainly caused, for example, a lot of bookstores to go out of business as, as well as other retail businesses. Um, who can say ultimately what is positive and what is negative? But the effect undoubtedly has been enormous. If it weren't for Amazon, it would have been some other company. But in fact, it has been Amazon, and that's why Bezos apparently is the richest man in the world.
6: I think as, uh, the last thing I read is actually kind Elon of the Musk. second. Yeah, I think <laughs> yes. he's uh, Elon Musk is. But they okay. share the, uh, w- one thing: is they share that interest in space. They both they both want to develop yeah. space programs, yeah. and Richard Branson as well. This is this is the billionaires' toy these days, isn't it? A space program.
0: And yes it is number 2 that's right Elon Musk is 1 but when we get to those hundreds when we get to that massive amount of money i mean who can count yeah. it anymore? yeah but
6: yes. so they what is i mean what's the thinking that they've conquered earth and now they've they've <laughs> got to find new frontiers
0: i think so and that's certainly one of it time to venture into something new that governments are, are more reluctant to invest money in it has to be these extraordinarily Mm. rich private entrepreneurs in things like space flight in i mean for that matter google looking at life extension and immortality and so on these are the areas these guys venture into but also i'm sure it's the legacy of how you want to be remembered after you're dead
6: how much do you think they care about what people think of them because uh i think jeff bezos i don't know if he's got many admirers Uh, I I don't know. What do you think the impression of most people's impression of Jeff Bezos is?
0: Well, but but Bill Gates didn't either Mm. uh, until the last uh, few years when indeed he has accrued them for his work against malaria and so on. Now, obviously, space exploration is a different matter from uh, being a, a, a charitable foundation, as Gates has been, but nonetheless... I'm sure it's the ultimate legacy. I mean, you know, do you want to go down in history as a uh, an ex- basically an exploiter as well as an innovator of your fellow human beings? I don't think so. So I think that is a factor. You know, uh, it's not only wanting to be remembered as a business innovator and exploiter. You want to be remembered as something more. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously I am not Jeff Bezos, I can't say, but that's got to be a factor.
6: It's, it's- of course, it's sort of an American thing, isn't it? As well, There's, I mean, a lot of the um, uh, the billionaires from the past and the oil barons and so on—they became known as as uh, philanthropists, really. And you still kind of associate their names with with uh, charitable institutions and museums and and, and things like that.
0: Sure. Andrew Carnegie Libraries, absolutely. I went to an Andrew Carnegie Library when I was a kid. Yeah, his name is on these libraries. So yes, this is a a sort of American tradition in a sense, um, more than in other countries.
5: And uh, and, uh, Jeff Bezos has given a lot of money into research into climate change, uh, which is talked about as being an existential threat uh, by the new U.S. uh, administration. Um, Do you think that's a way that he's thinking that, uh, you know, he can sort of make a difference to, uh, you know, uh, improvements in conditions for humanity?
0: I'm I'm quite sure that's exactly what he's thinking, because this is one more area where governments... Are having trouble acting together, whereas uh, a a private entrepreneur with uh, an an infinite amount of money like Bezos may indeed be able to make a shift. And so, yeah, again, it's a matter of how is he going to be remembered? What are we going to see on his Wikipedia page a hundred years from now? Simply that you know he was uh, voted by some organizations as the worst employer in America, Mm. as as he was, or. He helped save the planet in the last 20 years of his life by investigating climate change. I think it's the latter that he would like to
6: see. Mm. Okay, uh, an email from uh, James uh, who says, uh, Talk about the retirement of Jeff Bezos, really? I guess it's a very safe topic for RTHK. You won't upset anyone in the administration. Meanwhile, you could have used the airtime on someone more inspiring like Sir Tom Moore and how and why that humble spirit seems limp in Hong Kong. Good luck in trying to remain relevant, that comes from, from, from James, as I say. Um, Good, Matthew, do you know who Sir Tom Moore is, was?
0: Yeah, I know who Tom Moore is, yeah. and I appreciate that comment. But one thing to remember about Bezos is, I mean, yeah, I understand what the uh, the, the caller is, is thinking. And uh, on the other hand... The thing about Bezos is, he did work in McDonald's as a as a secondary school student. I mean, he's not that different from us, except that he became remarkably rich. He could have been us, Uh, you know. He he is again not that different. So, what he's doing is indeed relevant to us. I think it's not irrelevant. Uh,
6: What about? I mean, James is saying there that uh, that humble spirit. Uh, seems limp in Hong Kong, as exemplified by Sir Tom Moore, I suppose. You know, who was a, you know, a hundred year old, just doing his bit, kind of thing.
0: Well, and it certainly has withered in Hong Kong. I mean, I remember when I first came to Hong Kong, Lee ka Shing was uh, touted as the most admired Hong Konger. Mm. That age has certainly passed because we no longer think that anybody can become super wealthy. The same thing has probably happened in America. So, yeah, I think that is a point that the idea that anybody can make it has certainly receded uh, in America, but probably even more in Hong Kong. That's why people are leaving.
2: And that was Thursday's Back Chat with Gordon Matthews, Professor of Anthropology from the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And this brings us to the end of the program. So let me say goodbye to you and leave you with the music feature by Steve James. So have a lovely weekend and adios.
6: And we travel back to this day, 1959. It was the day the music died. 22-year-old Buddy Holly, the big bopper, and Richie Valens, aged 17, died in a crash shortly after take-off from Clear Lake, Iowa. The pilot of the single-engine Beechcraft Bonanza plane was also killed. Holly hired the plane after heating problems developed on his tour bus. All three were travelling to Fargo, North Dakota, for the next show in their Winter Dance Party Tour, which Holly had set up, covering 24 cities in three weeks, to make some money after the breakup of his band, The Crickets, the previous year.
0: We interrupt this programme for a special news bulletin. Three young singers who soared to the heights of show business on the current rock and roll craze were killed today in the crash of a light plane in an Iowa snow flurry. The singers were identified as Richie Ballin 17, Buddy Holly, 22, and J.P. Richardson, known professionally as the Big Bopper. The aircraft chartered from the Dwyer Flying Service crashed near Mason City, ironically the setting for the prominent musical, The Music Man. The pilot, Roger Peterson of Clear Lake, Iowa, was also killed. The three singers had appeared at the surf ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa last night and were on their way to Fargo, North Dakota. Their small chartered plane crashed in a lonely farmyard about 15 miles northwest of Mason City cause of the crash was due to inclement weather conditions. Details upcoming from Action Central News.
7: Just you know
0: why
6: why you
7: and I will by and by no Time you cry, and we know why just you and I know one he'll... Hello, baby. Yeah, this is the big mopper speaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you sweet thing. Do I want? I, what? Oh, baby, you know what I like. Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down and a wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the talk. Make the world go round. There ain't nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl to make me act so funny, make me spend my money, make me feel real loose like a long-necked goose, like a girl. Ow! Baby, that's what I like. What's that, baby? But... 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 Chantilly Lays had a pretty face Had a ponytail hanging down A wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the talk Make the world go round, round, round Ain't nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl Make me act so funny Make me spend my money Make me feel real loose Like a long-necked goose Like a girl Oh, baby, that's what I like!